Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Monday, September 23rd, the 2019 Laver Cup officially in the books, and what a weekend of tennis we had in Geneva, Switzerland. Joining me to break down day three to talk about all of the action, all of the drama that went into this final day at the Laver Cup, it is our Wednesday Mini Break podcast host, former tennis and men's tennis superstar, James. Jamie Time Stickler McDonald. James, welcome back to the Mini Break Podcast. Hey, you said you were going to work in that fake middle name uh, last time, but then you didn't come through on it. So uh, glad you did it for this one. I knew we were going to go an hour long on yesterday's podcast, so I figured if I called you Time Stickler and we went an hour, it wouldn't make sense. But I know today, only going to do the recap, so it should be a briefer pod. And before we get into the Labor Cup, because again, what a day of tennis we were treated to. So many fun results, such a high level of play, so much enthusiasm went into today's action. Uh, just to clarify, we, we usually do our live GSP shows now on Sunday. We changed this to Monday to give us a little time to prepare what we are doing. We are going to do a 2019 Laver Cup award show ceremony. Things from MVP, LVP, best bench cheerleader, best coaching performance from any individual on either team. Things of that nature. We're going to be talking about all of those things tomorrow. So for today's podcast, we're just going to stick to the results on court, the tennis we saw, break down the action that we had. And again, we were lucky enough to get all four of today's planned matches going ahead. Uh, Jamie, before we get into any of the breakdowns, just to set the scene for our listeners, a quick reminder, coming into today's action, Team Europe led Team World 7-5. Laver Cup doing a special format. Day one matches worth one point. Day two matches worth two. All of today's matches, as it's day three, were worth three points. So on the get-go, from the get-go, I should say, Team World had the opportunity to take, I think, maybe their first lead ever in in Laver Cup history. So that was the action we had. And we also had big news from the player front. Rafa Nadal scheduled. We were supposed to get our Fidal performance, that, of course, being Federer and Nadal playing doubles on the onset. We were also supposed to have Nadal Kyrgios as singles match later on in the day. Nadal pulls out, citing a wrist injury. And let's be honest, this is a guy who just spent two weeks dominating on the hard court. He won in Montreal as well. That we got to see any of him in this Labor Cup. I didn't expect to see any more Rafa throughout the rest of 2019. So it makes sense that he needed to rest. Uh, but Nick Kyrgios also pulled out of the singles action for Team World. That led to a slight replacement. Dominic Team and Taylor Fritz replacing that Nadal uh, Kyrgios matchup. We also had Tsitsipas sliding in for Nadal on the double uh, from the double standpoint. Let's start there, Jamie, with those switches from the onset. Did you feel a shift in the mentality? Because I'm going to be honest, all of these guys are so good. They're all playing at such a high level. There's so much intensity in each of these matches. I was still excited from the first ball. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you still got to be excited and get up for these matches, right? I mean, I, I think maybe the one, at least to set the tone for the day, the fact that you don't get Nadal and Federer together is like sort of a bummer. But, I mean, you still have Fed 
and Jack Sock on doubles court. You have Sitsipas, who is a good doubles player and is fiery, so that's fun. And, of course, you've got Isner paired up with Sock. So, now there was still plenty to be excited about at the start of day three, for sure. And let's get into it. You mentioned that doubles pairing. That was our first match of the day. Federer and Tsitsipas, I believe their first time ever playing doubles together, taking on the team of Jack Sock and John Isner. We mentioned this yesterday, Sock and Isner, 2018 uh, Indian Wells doubles champions. They've played together in Davis Cup before. They've played together at the Laver Cup before. So they obviously the team with a little bit more of team chemistry coming in. And to be honest, right off the back, Isner and Sock get the break of Tsitsipas. We saw Tsitsipas play doubles with Nadal yesterday, and he was the player in that match whose serve was was under the most fire from Kyrgios and Sok returning. And I thought that translated over today. The biggest difference for me, and this is not meant to be disrespectful to Rafa Nadal, meant, uh, actually meant to just praise Roger Federer. The way he moved at the net, he uh, he just he was a do- he added another doubles facet, another you know incredibly skilled, but had the mindset of a doubles player of attacking the net and you know crossing at the net, working poaches, and that added a complete new dynamic to this doubles match. I mean, yeah, for sure. Look, you've got just so much doubles talent on this court. And and honestly, they go about it differently, right? And there are different things about their games that make them such a good doubles player. I mean, you talk about what makes someone like Federer versus someone like Sok a great doubles player. You're going to be listing different things, yet ultimately they still get it done. And so to be able to see players like this clash against one another on the same court with all of this, you know, team dynamic, team energy on the line, um, I mean, it was just a ton of fun. And 10-8 10-8 in the breaker, the Americans get that one for Team World. I mean, is, isn't that the most fitting ending for this match? <laughs> well, again, all of our matches today featured a tiebreaker, so all only one match this entire Labor Cup weekend did not have some form of tiebreaker during it. Yeah, I, I thought the other X factor in this match, John Isner, uh, him at the net was probably the weakest part of Team World, not because he's a bad volleyer. I just don't think he moves at the net. He doesn't poach as much. He's you know wary of covering his line and doesn't want to get beat because there's so much of him. It's easy to hit low on him and get him jammed. I thought that's why Team Europe was able to break Sock twice in the first set. It was just that you know Sock's serve does create opportunities to poach, and I just didn't think John was comfortable in that first set poaching. But as the second set progressed, as they went into the third set breaker, there's a reason Jack Sock is the face of Team World in terms of the doubles perspective. No disrespect to the Bryans either, but there's a reason you include Jack Sock is because when he is focused, turned on, uh, and playing his best tennis— He's the best doubles player in the world. I, I just the way he hits his forehand, the way he can hit balls off the court with topspin, the way he attacks you, he gets on top of the net. You know, he's not afraid to go volley, 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 volley at the net exchange until you give him a floater that he can attack. He's not afraid if you have a floater to, you know, get up as close to the net as possible and put pressure on you. He just plays, you know, winning doubles. He's so aggressive and I thought his aggression, Isner caught on to it, it translated well. Well, Isner started stepping up, hitting returns early. And yeah, they just, they had too much firepower. Do you know how hard it must be to break John Isner's serve when Sock is the player he has poaching at the net? Yeah, I mean, that's just not going to happen. At least not going to happen <laughs> by someone like me. And, uh, you know, you could tell how difficult it was out there. And I mean, that's what you expect from this pairing, though, right? That's obviously the stronger suit. Like you mentioned, Sitsipas and Federer were able to break Sock a couple of times. That's how they ended up taking that first set. But, you know, yeah, the reverse of that, Isner serving and Sock at the net, I mean, that is that is absolutely deadly from Team World. 
Yeah, I, I thought the same way Team Europe targeted Isner at the net when Isner and Sock were two back. They went after Tsitsipas. Yep. I thought Tsitsipas held his own much like he did yesterday. But you could tell that was the strategy because Roger Federer was so effective, you know, both returning, taking balls early, uh, in particular, you know, jamming Jack Sock when he was serving and not allowing him to come in or not allowing him to hit a first forehand. Uh, they, they, Team Europe executed well, but I thought, again, the biggest difference between these two teams is just the firepower aspect. I didn't think Tsitsipas and Federer could match Isner and Sock firepower-wise, and when it's a third set tiebreaker up to 10, that format uh, benefits the team with more firepower. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right, and Isner, Isner and Jack Sock did what they needed to do. I mean, truthfully, that's they just came out and they executed when they needed to, and that's how they got across the finish line. Yeah, it's difficult, especially when you're playing against Federer and this, somebody who's always going to show up. Yeah, you know, Sitsipas, he has some weaknesses, but I, I'll say it again. Sitsipas is, has had some double success, too. He's not a bad doubles player at all, and so the way they were able to just sort of isolate Sitsipas when they did have those opportunities and completely execute the aggressive strategy, I mean, that that's what got him across the finish line, and, and ultimately gave team world that 8-7 lead and I thought I'm glad you mentioned that lead because their mindset their their attitude it translated to their performance on the court team world John Isner is not an outwardly emotional guy you know he's a guy who stays quiet stays reserved on a court doesn't express too much of verbally but I mean him and Jack Sock were so fired up throughout this every point they win to come on they're turning to the bench there's loud screaming from both Isner and Sock you know Isner's letting out these huge yells after he hits big serves I I think Isner serving for the second set 5-4. Tsitsipas and Federer had three or four break chances in that game. You know, every time they'd won the point, big, big yell from both of them. I thought Federer and Tsitsipas as well. I mean, they were so locked in. Federer fist pumping like crazy. You just don't see those sort of displays from Roger Federer. And on top of all of that, you had a locked in crowd. I mean, the environment itself, it it was fitting of this sort of occasion, right? The the crowd brought their A game as much as the players did. Yeah, for sure. And anyone who talked in, or I guess just still on court in any sort of, you know, press, not even the press conference, but just your, your on court post-match interview, they were all mentioning the crowd, you know, and that's what makes this event so special. That's one of the things I should say, because I, I mean, we'll get into this in pods, many pods to come, but there are so many things that make the Labor Cups um, special, especially to those of us who, you know, watch the ATP tour all year round, and then we get to see something so unique, right? And it just makes it such a stark contrast. But like you said, the energy in this, both from the players and the fans, was just incredible. Um, and so I think that's a huge reason why the Labor Cup is has been such a success and continues to be and will continue to be in the future a favorite for fans and players. And the reason I want to bring up that energy, that momentum you look at our next match, you cannot say Taylor Fritz didn't ride the momentum. Team World up 8-7 on day three for the first, I think that was their first day three lead ever. It had to have been in Labor Cup history. And Taylor Fritz came out on fire against Dominic Team, ultimately taking a 7-5, 6-7, 10-5 victory, propelling Team World that much closer to their first ever title. They'd taken 11-7 lead overall after this match. 
But let's talk about this one because for the young American, yes, he lost in three sets to Tsitsipas, uh, but the way he performed in, you know, he was the fill-in. He was the fifth guy, or not the fifth guy asked, but he was the fifth roster spot announced. He was, you know, FAA's replacement. It's very clear they went to FAA first. He said no, then they went to Fritz. Well, the way Taylor Fritz performed this weekend, he deserves to be on this team, and it would not shock me to see him on multiple Labor Cup teams in the future. Yeah, no, this is incredible, and it's funny because you did you did text me beforehand talking about he's got the big match energy, he's got this, and you know I will say I was texting people after I had just the weirdest like I was just so proud of Taylor Fritz when I saw this match. That's like that's the only way I could describe it. I was like this was incredible from start to finish from him, and it's like I, I was just so proud of him, and he was able to put this match together, and then you know he who loses that second set doesn't get phased at all still comes out in the third set breaker and takes it 10-5 I mean this was even before we get into sort of the X and X's and O's of this match just from that part alone and you could tell how much he cared too you know after that match he said I mean he, he really took it to heart this whole event he was like yeah you know it was horrible that first day letting the team down and now I was able to get this and you know I was so proud of myself for being able to get this and it's like wow this this really meant that much to him you know Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. He called it the biggest win of his career, and you could tell from the way he comported himself that he meant it. You know, this match meant that much to him, and the biggest thing for Taylor Fritz in a big match like this, you know, one of the basics you say, you got to hold your serve, and Taylor Fritz did not get broken in this match, and yeah, it's a third set breaker. I get it. This isn't a grand slam. It's, you know, Taylor Fritz physically, movement-wise, three out of five, that's, that's still something he needs to improve if he wants to compete late into second weeks at slams. But, I mean, he protected his serve so well in this match. He did the little things in terms of execution so well. We were talking beforehand, and you brought this up. The way Taylor Fritz turns to patterns, the way even when he's down breakpoint, I think it was the one-all game in the first set, he was down 15-40, and he turned to, you know, with team being uh, seven feet behind the backhand. First one, out wide angle, give him an easy first ball, easy forehand, put away. Second, when he goes down the tee, uh, team leaves him a short one, Fritz hits a drop shot. His execution today is the sort of execution you need, and he called it a big match, so I don't feel ashamed calling it that. When you're playing the sort of high-intensity, big-pressure match that clearly Taylor Fritz viewed this opportunity as. Yeah, no, and I think what's really neat for me is, you know, it's pretty fun, like right after their changeover, they do the little, you know, two screens. They're going out to start the start whatever game is next, and then they sort of show what was being talked about on the bench and it was so cool to me and just sort of just a great testament to Taylor Fritz and like you said his ability to execute because whatever was being talked about on the bench you would see it 10 seconds later when they were playing like he was putting he was putting into the match exactly what they were talking about and whether it was advice from Kyrgios or McEnroe, the two guys who were mainly in his ear when he was um, on the changeovers or things that he was bouncing off of them and they were saying, yes, do this, no, do this, we don't want you to get in this sort of rally. He was doing it. 
And he was the one who was able to control the pace of that match. And so I think that is what helped him a lot. And this is he was saying, no, I'm not going to do this. I am going to do this. And yeah, ultimately, really a, a small margin in this match. Of course, it goes to that third set breaker. But just hats off to Taylor Fritz for being able to execute on what exactly was talked about on those changeovers. Having had the opportunity to t- speak with Taylor Fritz on the Cracked Interviews podcast before, knowing a little bit about his background, obviously his mother of uh, an incredibly successful tennis player, so he comes from a tennis dad, a professional as well, so he comes from a tennis lineage, uh, but he is really a student of the game. I'm sure for him, the opportunity, and you know, with all due respect, it's not Federer and Nadal, but to hear and learn from a McEnroe, a Raonic, uh, a Kyrgios, a Sock, and Isner. He's soaking all of that information up because you can tell this guy is all in on the game of tennis. He loves the sport. He loves competing in these environments. And it was such a pleasure to see him execute at the level he did, have this sort of success he did, 88% win percentage on the first serve. And he made 67% of those first serves. As I mentioned, he gets the only break of the match. His variety, his ability to stick to patterns so impressive on the flip side for Dominic team now let's frame it like this Dominic team won 22 receiving points in this match Taylor Fritz also only won 22 receiving points Dominic team 82% win percentage on the first serve uh, 55% win percent win percentage on the second serve versus Fritz's 46% he was right in this match to win it I thought just Fritz clearly played a much better tiebreaker Uh, But I don't know. How are you feeling about Dominic Team after seeing him this weekend? Yeah, I mean, it was a little disappointing. Obviously not as disappointing as the U.S. Open. Um, And so I guess for me, there were a couple moments in this tiebreak, too, that, man, if a couple of those balls that he hit would have dropped just by a couple inches, I mean, this could have been a completely different tiebreak. There's especially one where he was completely on the run, Fritz was Uh all on offense and team was able to scramble and reset that with that lob remember and then he Uh was able he was able to get a hold of it and then he has a clear forehand and just misses it by like two inches and it's just like i mean team completely had the point at that point and so it's just it's interesting there were little moments like that where you're like "Ah, that's kind of disappointing to see but uh, from a match standpoint as a whole no i mean you look at a guy like taylor fritz and by no means was this an easy match for someone like Team. Even on paper, you should, you wouldn't think that. But at the same time, Team's five in the world, right? He barely escapes a match against Denis Shapovalov in which he was down match points, ends up winning at 13-11 on day one. Okay, you think on paper, Team, you should definitely be beating Shapo, right? Then this one loses to Taylor Fritz. I mean, I don't know. This is definitely not peak form, Dominic Team, But, I mean... This is much more about Taylor Fritz playing a great match than it is team being disappointing, in my opinion. I agree. I think that's the takeaway. Taylor Fritz rose to the occasion. For it's sure. not the Dominic team fell at all. And yep. you mentioned uh, just that getting to see Taylor Fritz soak in the information on the bench. We'll talk about it a lot in the award show, but... The on-court coaching continued to shine throughout all three days, watching these players interact with um, just one another, getting the bounce-off ideas. Obviously, Tennis Channel all in on promoting the Federer-Nadal relationship, showing them giggling, laughing, patting each other on the back, all pumping each other up, all of these different things. Yeah. And we'll talk about all of those highlights on tomorrow's award show. But again... Despite going down 11-7 after losing that match, as we look to our next match, the energy level for Team Europe, 
Roger Federer on the stage, you know, John Isner had been playing very well this weekend, but there was never a doubt for me that Roger Federer was not going to rise to the occasion. And once again, he does. He gets a 6-4-7-6 win over John Isner. I mean, this was Federer. You don't want to say vintage Federer because it's not in terms of anything he did on the court, just, you know, remarkably well versus anything before. But the way he embraced the environment, the way he embraced the situation of being down, you know, it's a win or go home match for his team, the pressure on him, his bench turning to him as, we'll say, the de facto leader coach of Team Europe. It's just it. It's why Labor Cup so special to see him in that environment. It's one of the you know you don't get to see Roger Federer play at home in the team environment despite all of his accomplishments. That's something you get to see very rarely from him, and he thrived in it. Yeah, absolutely. And, and let's talk about the fact too that I mean, comparing this to the 2018 Labor Cup, this was such a similar scenario, right? I mean, look, day three world in Europe last year. World actually gets up 8-7 after dubs because Isner and Sock once again come out with a crazy third You're set right. win. They got up 8-7, and that was the first match of day three. Okay, what's the next match on? Well, in this case, the match after the Fritz and team, if you take that one out. One of the next matches on that's a huge one is Federer-Isner. They matched up um, on day three as well in the 2018 one. So a lot of these things really, the script was kind of similar, right? Except in this case, World had an even larger margin thanks to Taylor Fritz. Um, however, though, you knew Federer was going to come out and be ready to play for this. Um, this is his event, right? And it's his team. So, <laughs> I mean, we, we can't be surprised there. It's awesome to see how engaged Federer was. And man, I, that celebration when he won, I mean, we always talk about how Team World's getting hyped up and that's their thing and that's awesome. But the amount of passion and, and just emotion that Federer had, you know, during the match and especially after he won it was insane. I mean, it looked, you, you, you could have told me he won the biggest thing in the world. And, you know, hey, maybe in his eyes and in this point of his career, it is. Uh, but it was insane and it's awesome to see how an event like this has such an impact on these top guys who seriously have done it all in their career i mean nadal and federer they don't have anything left to prove for their career are you kidding me and yet this is still making that much of an impact on them and this is still that important to them you know that's special yeah i i mean the fist pumping the outward look of emotion at his bench after every point the audible uh, commands you hear from Federer. You don't get that in a three-out, you know, first round of the U.S. Open, second round of the U.S. Open, when Fed's up 6-2-6-2-3-0, you don't see that sort of emotion from him. But in this match, you saw it from him from the first point to the last point, and this is not to take anything away from John Isner, who clearly was struggling through the first seven and a half and made an adjustment. Uh, Another thing you mentioned in the pre-podcast, he started getting more aggressive with his return, started stepping in, following up to the net, taking Mm -hmm chances against Federer because you have to take chances. You can't let the match be played on Federer's terms because when Federer plays on his terms, he wins. Um, But Roger Federer still, despite going against the John Isner serve, he managed to create breakpoint opportunities for himself. He managed to find his way to the net whenever possible. And I know he only had one break of serve, but he just managed to, you know, Isner wasn't blowing him out with ace after ace after ace and unreturnable serve. He was putting balls in play. And it's just... Again, pressure on the line. Federer was fighting for survival. He was fighting to make sure his team did not get eliminated. And it's just still so cool to see these athletes respond to that sort of pressure. Yeah, absolutely. And look, Federer just did so much right in this match. But I think the biggest thing for me, the thing that was at least most visible was just the attitude. And this is what you expect from Federer, right? I mean, look, he's been in 
maybe not situations just like this, but situations where he backs against the wall. He's been in that a million times. He's been in those a million times, right? So it's just interesting to see because, you know, you think about being under pressure by a really good server, like that's exactly what Isner is. So, you know, it's interesting because Federer wasn't reacting the same way that Isner was, right? Because Isner was so frustrated that he wasn't being able to get into these Federer service games because like, oh, the Federer serves so good. His serve plus one is just rocking right now. But Honestly, if you're John Isner, you should be able to hold that mentality too and make your opponents feel that way. You should make them feel absolutely helpless out there with your serve. And so I feel like Federer did a great job of keeping himself composed. Sure, I'm, I'm sure there were so many games in that where he was so frustrated that he couldn't make um, any inroads against the Isner serve, but he didn't show it, right? What he did show was the positive emotion. And so I think throughout the match, that's just kind of one of my criticisms. I know that Isner wanted it so much and that's the source of it and I get that, but especially when you're playing a guy like Federer, you can't show all that emotion, the negative attitude and all the emotions that come with that. I mean, because someone like Fed's just going to capitalize on it. Yeah, the flip side, which you mentioned as you were saying that, is it was it belied how much he cared, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. It's not that 100%. Isner was being – and that's what you were saying is that it's not that he was – he was so frustrated with himself yeah. because he wanted he to wanted rise it to so the occasion. Badly. 100%. Exactly. And that speaks to – it's a glorified exhibition, my ass. Like, these oh, guys yeah. care. Like, for sure they care. And that is why to get a, a sudden death breaker the way we did, and that's how we'll transition into our last match, um, obviously, Milos Raonic taking on Alexander Zverev in that final. Uh, I mean, winner take all, right? At that point, it's mm-hmm. thirteen uh, or it's 10 points for Team Europe, 11 points for Team World. Final match worth three points. Uh, so winner take all. And you could tell just from the onset how much it meant. All of the players for each team on the bench from the get-go, they weren't moving. They were all locked in. They were all cheering on their opponents. They're running from side to side doing their different celebrations. I mean, this is... How would you compare that atmosphere, the the feeling around going into that match versus the Medvedev-Nadal U.S. Open final? I mean, they're just... I don't know. That's just so different. You mean like the, what are you trying to compare? The intensity of like the crowd or like, cause there's really not that team aspect there. So that's kind of nervousness. It just, it feels like it felt like because obviously they were in Europe, the crowd had a heavy partisan flow. And I think team world's embracing of the booing is kind of what made, you know, cause they were booing team world. They were yelling Sasha, Sasha and doing all these different things uh, to encourage. And, but I think Team World's embracing of it is what made the environment that much more fun. It just felt like everyone was tuned in. And as good as Nadal Medvedev was for a men's final, five sets, the quality of tennis, tremendous, the comeback. It just, I don't know, it, it, something about this match, it, it, maybe it was the shortened format, maybe it's that it felt like, it just felt like every every point was that much more important. Well, yeah, I mean, look, and all the guys talk about it. You're not just playing for yourself out there. You're you're playing for a team you don't want to let people down. You know, Fritz said it really well after his match. And even people like Curious, you can tell they're locked in because they care not only about the event. And it's it's Curious isn't going to be one of those people who is just going to go out there and tank in an event like this because he cares and he doesn't want to let his guys down. And he's into this and he's locked in, right? And so it, it, that that sort of feeling just permeates across and through both teams here. They don't want to let they don't want to let their guys down. Um, you know, there's a whole host of reasons, especially on the Team Europe side. It's got to be a lot of pride in terms of just their ranking. They're like, wow, we really should be winning this. That's definitely a part of this. Um, but especially for the Team World side, and, you know, you, you feel for Raonic, right? He gets 
he gets on Team World, you know, plays two singles matches, loses them both. After not playing at the U.S. Open. I know. And so it's it's unfortunate to see how this sort of script goes for Milos Raonic because um, I do think he played really well in a lot of this match, but just ultimately was not very clean in the breaker, right? I mean, he, he did a great job to hold on to his break um, and, and, and get it done 6-3 in the second set, but just not good enough in the third set from him. I see. Even though Raonic ended up winning the second set, I really just thought Alexander Zverev played the better match from the first ball to the last. And you look at the scoreline, Zverev, a 6-4-3-6-10-4 winner. It was that, you know, Raonic had one one plan. It was hit the big serve out wide, look for a forehand, follow it in. Zverev was able to attack Raonic in so many different ways. And what I really liked from him, and you could see this is what uh, Federer and Nadal and every all of them on the bench were stressing from the get-go, you got to make your first serves. It doesn't need to be blistering speed, but you need to make your first serve. Put pressure on Milos on the return. Be able to play uh, a first strike tennis to take control of the point right away because if you can get Milos lollygagging with backhand slices, if you can get him on the move, that's obviously not when he's able to play his best tennis. And Zverev did such a good job of doing that, of just making returns. You know, he didn't get a break in the second set, but when Rayonich was serving for the set at 5-3, he must have had four or five break point chances. He just kept making a lot of extra balls and when it's a high-intensity pressure match, the ability to do that is that much more valuable. But, you know, so many times we've seen Alex Virov in the later rounds of slams. All he can, all he does is counterpunch. All he does is try and make the extra ball, nothing more. It wasn't that against Raonic. It was, okay, Raonic is giving me a slice. I'm going to hit, I'm going to hit through this backhand instead of slicing it back. I'm going to go deep back to that corner, hopefully get a shorter slice out of him, run around it and use my forehand to attack that ball. And I just thought... Seeing Alex Virov thrive in this environment, in this high-pressure situation, given the fact that he had these guys, talk, you know, these top players in the world talking him through it, talk, coaching him through how good he can be in the big stages if he plays disciplined, I mean, the Alexander Zverev trade for me, I am right back at the front of it, ready to conduct this bad boy to a Grand Slam in 2020. Yeah, I mean, I think this is a huge thing for him individually that we can take away from the Labor Cup. I mean, look, you've got to be confident after this, right? Um, even though you're playing a guy, this is the thing with Team Europe, every time you're playing somebody against Team World, you're supposed to win. But at the same time, this environment, thats a this is a big win. I mean, it just is. I mean, look, Zverev is, what, six in the world right now? Live rankings, Raonic is like 24, I think. So in that sense, yeah, you're supposed to win this match. But listen, not long ago, it was just earlier this year, Raonic absolutely lit Zverev up in a major. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It was 1-1-6. One, one, and six. And I mean, yeah, Australian that third... Open. It kind of set the tone for mm-hmm. Zverev's year. Yep, it, was fourth round, it was fourth round of this year's Australian Open. And yeah, so unfortunate for Zverev, especially because he was the four seed in that. But I mean, you lose two first sets, 6-1-6-1, six, one, six, one, six, one, when you're the four seed of a major to the, uh, the 16 seed, Raonic. I mean, that's not great. So in that way, and it's interesting too, because I'll get into this in a second tactically, but in, an, in another way, Zverev, just good for him for beating a guy who beat him earlier this year, right? That's something in and of itself. But doing it with all this pressure on the line, that's a whole other thing. But from a tactical standpoint, I like a lot of what Raonic did some of the times because those slices, even though a lot of times they did just you know look like they weren't doing that much, 
those were some of the shots that were really messing with Zverev at the Australian Open. And granted, maybe it was a Zverev who wasn't playing that well and was not on his A game in terms of the ground strokes, but that is something that did work for him um, at the Australian Open. And so there were times, especially in this match, when he executed it well, you know, when he made the slice not just a floater decently deep, but if, if he was able to mix it up, do a bit of a shorter slice, but it was kind of, you know, knifing and uncomfortable for Zverev to finish, then he would pop it up. Raonic could move in and dictate with the forehand. My biggest problem at the later stages of this match is how Raonic decided to approach. When he got the opportunity, because let me, let, let's be clear here, in this third set breaker, he had offensive opportunities that he didn't capitalize on. Absolutely, this match could have gone the other way. If Raonic was a little bit smarter with how he attacked, this completely could have gone the other way because he set up some of these points and then he would put in an approach that just wasn't that good to this Zverev backhand and then he'd get burned. That happened multiple times in the tiebreak. And then the match point, um, once again, he has that approach. This time he does go to the forehand, which is probably a better play, but it just wasn't a good enough approach. Zverev hits the pass, goes down on the ground and wins the Labor Cup again, right? So great for Zverev for getting another clinch back-to-back years, but unfortunate for Raonic for really not attacking the right way, in my opinion. Yeah, and watching Roger and Rafa give that prep talk before the third set. Oh, they were pumped I, I mean, <laughs> I would have been, I would have been like, I can do anything right now. I mean, Roger and Rafa are telling that are telling me they believe in me. Like this has to be the coolest yeah, feeling in for the world sure. for Sphere. And you could see the way he tracked. I think it was the one-one point where he tracked down an extra ball and ended up making a pass. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, the way he kept going after his passes, hitting them aggressively, not just hitting it in the center, but going to targets while on the run. I mean, it was it was such a good uh, good performance for Zero. I don't want you know, it's hard. You don't want to read too much into Labor Cup because it's not a full third set. There are so many differences between you know the mentality you go into those sort of matches with them, the day in day out ATP tour grind. Sure. But it was just refreshing to see Zverev once again thrive in this uh, moment and to sort of wrap up the coverage of the tennis because we'll talk about the celebrations. We'll talk about, again, the social media, the MVP, all of our awards and big takeaways from the event on tomorrow's live GSP. Um, but, I mean, the biggest winner of this entire event had to have just been, you know, the fans, the sports in general. As cliche as that is, we were treated to a phenomenal, I mean, a lot of people will say it, it's probably, in the mind of many tennis fans, the best event of the 2019 season. I, I think that's fair to say. I mean, the amount of texts I got from people just saying like, wow, this was awesome, right? I mean, because not only is it so different, but it's just... It just it just unlocks something different. You know, we don't get exposed to the team dynamic enough, um, and for a professional sport, that's unfortunate, right? So anytime you do get this opportunity, it is just something special. And like you said, absolutely not just some you know random glorified exhibition match. It's not even close to that at all because they care so much. Um, and honestly, too, I'll, I'll probably make this take multiple other times. But even though Team World loses this, a they were right there. And this easily could have gotten their way. So that's awesome. And I think that just builds more momentum for next year's Labor Cup. And B, I don't know, if you're a person on Team World, why aren't you extending the Team World membership and just, I guess, sort of team dynamic? Why aren't you extending that over the entire year? Why aren't you out there just repping like Labor Cup Team World stuff? Why aren't you in each other's boxes? Why aren't you, you know, completely just pumping each other up? Why aren't you doing all the same things? Because this is the best I've seen these individuals perform for the most part when they're with each other because they're part of this team dynamic, right? So if you can foster that, why aren't you doing that more throughout the season? 
Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's tough to know if you're going to be in, you know, unless you're curious. And by the way, we've seen Nick Kyrgios at a bunch of players' matches over the past five, six weeks at Cincinnati true. at the U.S. Yep. Open. That's true. Um, but unless you're a Kyrgios or a Jack Sock, it, 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 you maybe even Isner at this point, you're not necessarily sure you're going to be on the team. And if I'm John McEnroe, I am, you know, bubble wrapping, saran wrapping, taping, triple taping, doing whatever I have to do to protect Juan Martin Del Potro's knees because I swear to God, they're one Juan Martin Del Potro away from winning this thing. And you're right. That is the takeaway. There's a ton of momentum continuing to build off of this event uh, into 2020. Just, you know, the Labor Cup serves at the intersection of a bunch of different ongoing issues on tour right now from pay equity to the team format to how's the best way to entertain fans to the length of matches, just all of the, you know, to on-court coaching, what's more, a more entertaining viewing experience, all of these different things things and there those and the answers to those questions are way more complicated but what's clear about this event is it works something about it is so compelling so attractive to tennis fans that it's in my opinion it will continue to thrive i agree and i think it's i think it's because really where it came from is a player who gets it and that's federer right he gets it like he understands what people want, he understands what players want, and he made this event because it was a perfect intersection of those things. Yeah, and that'll be something to monitor. I think I speak for both of us when we say not only are we excited for 2020 in Boston, hopefully we'll f-ing be there. At Let's that go. Point. Yeah, we yeah. got to go. We got to Let's go. go. Ten- We're part of this Tennis Channel podcast for a reason, and the reason is we got to get to Labor Cup, do a little live coverage. That's the yeah. only thing that could make these we'll daily mini breaks better. Exactly. And uh, with that in mind, got to give a huge shout-out to the super producers, Max Fliegner and Daniel Westhoff. We make them work weekends now, and they continue to do a f-ing good job. And as I say – hundreds of thousands of dollars west off you know that's what you're worth to me don't leave us anytime soon but with that in mind jamie any final thoughts only one last thought and it's what i forgot to say um about the fritz and team matchup one thing that was just even more impressive i know it was just gonna bother me if i didn't say it it was just gonna bother me if i didn't say it (laughs) do it because when they were saying nadal had pulled out Team Europe knew that that was happening, I think. From what I could gather, they knew. Team was the first one at the facility today, and he was on the court hitting, practicing. Fritz had way less warning. And there's like, okay. Yeah, and apparently Nick went and talked to Fritz, and I think McEnroe did too. He was like, hey, you, I'm not feeling good. Like, you want to end on this? And Fritz is like, yeah, let's go. And he gets out there, has a good warm-up, and then comes out and just beats Team. Like, that's that's so impressive to me. So I just had to get that in there. No, you quoted me. You said I said he's got big match. The real term I said was big d- energy. Mm, I mean, sure. yeah, he came out and he performed in the biggest moment. It was so impressive. And I'll throw in an extra word. Just the matchup. It's good. That ball that Dominic team hits because Taylor Fritz is so tall, it's in his strike zone. And to watch him just hit down, I mean, it's it's a testament to how talented he is. But yes, uh, with that in mind, <laughs> obviously there's more Laver Cup to discuss. And I'll say it one last time. We will be doing our Great Shot podcast uh, live award show about the 2019 Laver Cup. I'm going to say that again because I phrased it poorly. The 2019 Laver Cup award show. Uh, Westoff, give me some award show sound effects, please. We will be recording that tomorrow. MVP, LVP, best team cheerleader, best coaching performance, all of these different uh, sorts of things. So be on the lookout for that content. Again, please, as always, like, rate, subscribe, review this podcast, the Great Shot podcast, the Cracked Interviews podcast. If you've missed any of the content from the week, check out our website, crackedrackets.com. There were a ton 
ton of incredible ATP and WTA events and results this weekend that we will be covering later on in the week throughout this week on the Mini Break Podcast, so be on the lookout for those. But with that in mind, for our super producers, Max Fligner, Daniel, and Daniel Westoff, from my wonderful co-host, James Time Savvy, Time Cruncher, Time Slick McDonald, and from our entire teams at both the Cracked Rackets and Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Struskin. James, what do we tell our listeners? That's a break. And we will see you all later in the week. Thanks. Thanks.